You're now listening to the Stouffville Pentecostal Church audio podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Our message today was preached by our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Laird. Have a listen. There's something that I always do regularly. Uh, I make it a part of my practice in, my pre- in our preaching schedule that a minimum of once a year, usually twice a year, I take a communion uh, Sunday like today, and I literally just talk about communion. And I think it's important. Uh, as I was looking back over uh, 2019, which is rapidly coming to an end, uh, it's, it's amazing how fast this year has gone by in my, in my mind anyway. But uh, I haven't done this for a long, long time. And I really felt compelled that today would be a good day to do it uh, as we are, are closing in on the end of the year. There's, <clears throat> there's two practices that were established by Jesus uh, for his followers to participate in. There's a lot of things that we do, but there's two things that Jesus himself sort of instituted. He, he kind of began in a way for us. One was water baptism that we say Jesus was water baptized, and we say basically if Jesus did it, we should do it too, right? So water baptism is something that we do that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But the other one that he did, that he started, was communion. And communion was a very special time when he sat down. The first one uh, really was when he sat down with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. It was... uh, it was a time that he, was, he knew he was going to be taken, he was going to be crucified and tortured, he was going to die, and he sat down and he took bread and he took wine and he, he, he did something very special with that. And uh, I want to talk about that today. If you have your Bibles, you can look up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 or it'll be on the screen. I want to read this. This is a passage that Many of you will have heard many times. Those of us who have been in church a long time, we've heard and done communion so many times. But be reminded today about how special and how unique this really is. And if you've never heard any uh, like good teaching, hopefully today will be good, but good teaching about communion, hopefully you're going to learn something today as we have a, have a look through this. Uh, put up for me 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. It says this, when, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, he gave thanks to God for it, he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's it's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty 
of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Now, uh, I'm, I'll get back into the beginning part in verse 20 in just, just a minute because I think it's kind of weird for us. The, the scene is weird because we, we get this tiny little piece of bread or a tiny little piece of cracker and a tiny little cup of juice, and, and he's talking about eating meals and getting drunk and not sharing, and it, it, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit weird to our, our sense of how we operate and how we do communion. So I'll explain that in, in just a minute. It's really important how we approach communion. It, we're to prepare our heart. You're to be looking at yourself and looking around in so many different ways, and we'll get, we'll get to there in, in just a minute. But it's important that we prepare our heart and not treat this in a careless way. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to remind them how to do this right. He said, you're, you're not doing it right. In fact, you've made a mess of it. You've really made a mess of it. And, and uh, they were treating basically the whole experience and each other very poorly. And he, he wanted to correct it. He wanted to straighten it out as quickly as he could. Because participating in communion, it's actually supposed to be, it's intended to be an encouragement to us. It's intended to be a blessing it's intended to be a powerful reminder of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. It's intended, actually, to bring joy into our lives, not discipline. And he said, you're treating it so badly, and so you need to get this right. Now, just look at these words here, verse 20. Uh, when he says this, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Keep going. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others, and as a result, some go hungry and others get drunk. What? Do you have your own homes to eat and drink? Do you want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? I'm not going to praise you, of course. He's not going to praise you for this kind of stuff. This is what he's saying. So these words may seem a bit strange because of the way that we celebrate and remember communion. It's much different than the way that the early church did it back then. See, they had this big meal together, and these meals actually became known as agape feasts. Tell me what agape means. Right. So they were known as love feasts, and basically, in our, in our world, we would call it a potluck, all right? We would call it a big potluck, and um, some of us love potlucks. Some of us have issues with potlucks, but it was a big potluck. All right, and the early church actually often had meals together. It was something that they did uh, really regularly. In fact, Acts two forty six uh, gives you a little clue. If you put that up, it says they wor- they worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes 
look at this. For the Lord's Supper, communion, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This was something that they did pretty frequently. They would eat a meal together, and somewhere in the course of that meal, probably towards the end of the meal, they would have communion. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So what would happen in these agape feasts was the rich would bring food, and the poor would try to bring food as well. But of course, the rich had more money, so they would bring a lot more food than the poor would. And, but the whole idea was that everybody was supposed to share, all right? If we're having a potluck, imagine, okay? Imagine we all bring stuff. So those of us who have more money, we bring tons of stuff. And those of us that don't have a lot of money, we bring a little bit of stuff. And then when the meal starts, we start separating people according to income. Oh, no, 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 you're poor? What? No, you can't eat this. No, you, you eat that, you know. And this is the kind of stuff that was going on, right? The rich would bring more food and the, less, uh, and the poor would bring less. They were supposed to share with each other, but cliques were happening. They were, they were being established and the food was being divided unequally. The rich were, he says, the, basically he says the rich were hogging it all. They were hogging all the food and hogging the wine, even to the point of getting drunk, right? And the poor were getting very little or next to none, right? And so he's saying, listen, you're making a mockery of how the church is supposed to operate. This is not how we're supposed to be. You're, you're treating the poor badly. This is not what Jesus would want for us to do. You're bringing shame on the church, he said, and you're humiliating those who are poor. This is not right. And listen, so after a meal like that, and imagine the hard feelings if you're the person on the outs. You get the cracker while he gets the prime rib dinner. And then at the end of that meal, you're all supposed to come together and have the Lord's Supper at the end. You're starting to get a, a sense of how awkward this was. He's saying you're doing this wrong. How, how could you ever celebrate communion properly after an event like that? It's wrong. It's bad. You're doing this completely inappropriately, right? Paul wanted it to be right. He wanted it to, to correct them immediately. And so this passage reminds us of these principles that we need to keep in mind as we ourselves, even today, prepare our hearts to celebrate communion at the end uh, uh, of the end of the morning. So you'll see in your, in your uh, bulletin an outline there. And I, I called it five looks, five looks into communion. The first look is this. We have to look back to remember what he has done. Look, uh, look back to remember. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 24. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Then look what he says. Do this to remember me, right? Do this to remember me. So the broken cracker reminds us of, of the body of Christ uh, that was broken for us. The cup reminds us of his blood that was poured out for us so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus wants us to remember his death. Now, it's, it's, it's odd to say, you know, uh, remember my death. 
Usually people say, remember how I lived, right? Remember what I did. Remember, remember you know, the things that I taught. And obviously we're supposed to remember his life and the things that he did. But he, he says, listen, don't forget. I, I want you to remember my death. I want you to remember this. I want you to celebrate it. Why is, the, is, is a good question to ask. Because there's multiple reasons, but basically because we, we have, as believers, everything we have actually as believers is centered around the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right? Amen? If Paul even said, look, if, if the Lord doesn't, didn't rise from the dead, then, then we, you know, woe to all of us, right? He had to die and he had to rise again. So he's saying, remember that I died. Remember that I died, right? It, it, we have to remember that he died for us. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He wants us to remember that. It's important to remember. So communion is a look back to remember. He needed to die so that we could live. So we remember that he died. He also, he also wants us to remember why he died. He died for why? For me, for you. He died for us. He didn't die for himself. He didn't die for his own sin. He died for our sin. He died for us. It's, it's that price, you know, he paid the price that we could never pay. And I know that those of us who sit in church all the time, we've heard sermons and we've read this passage and we hear phrases like that, and it can gloss over us. But today, just in the, in the quietness and, the, and, and in the presence of the Lord, would you just be grateful again that he paid a price that we could never pay? to set us free. He gave us his all because he loved us that much. And we never, never, never should be taking that for granted. He was the substitute. He took our place. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And 1 Peter said something similar, chapter 2. He said, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Remember why he died and also remember how he died. And I, I, I threw this in because I think it's important. He gave his life. He gave his life willingly. He gave his life unselfishly. Look at what John said in John 10, verse 18. He said, Jesus said this, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. So how he died was willingly. Nobody took it. The Romans didn't take it. The Pharisees didn't trick him. 
They, the, the, they, they, they thought they won, but the whole time he was laying his life down according to his own timetable and his own plan. To simply recall the historical facts, you know, it's, it's, it's not just about when I'm saying remember his death, remember we look back to remember. It's not just looking back to simply recall the historical facts. But what it is supposed to really do is it's, it's to help us remember that we have a Savior who gave his all for us, that he bled, that he died, that he was broken, that he gave his life willingly, but that he rose again, and now we have a relationship with a living Savior who gave his all for us. We look back, and it reminds us of all that he's done and how grateful we are. Amen? So like the least we can do is to give him the best we can because that's what he gave for us. So second, so we look back to remember. Second, I, I, I said we look up to be thankful. It says on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it into pieces. I don't know if that phrase has ever gripped you or not, but I was thinking about he gave thanks. Jesus gives thanks for the bread. He gives thanks for the wine. Like he knew what the elements were representing. He knew what the bread was representing. He knew what, he, what was about to happen to him. He knew that he was going to suffer and die. And he stands there around that table with his disciples and he gives thanks for it. That's pretty awesome, is it not? He gives thanks for it. How thankful should that make me? How thankful should that make us? That even in the trials of life, even in all the ups and downs that we experience on this earth, I can be thankful, amen? That, that he is with us, that he is for us, that he will never leave us, that he loves us, that he died for us, that he has forgiven us, that he He's rescued us. He's saved us. He's given us hope. He has blessed us with every good thing. He has shown us mercy. He has shown us favor. He has poured out mercy, grace, and compassion. He has given me a a, a way to have eternal life in heaven with him and the Father. How can I not be thankful for all that he's done? If anyone on earth should be thankful... It's those of us who have Jesus. We talked about being thankful a few weeks ago at Thanksgiving, but this is a, a, another powerful reminder. We have to rid our lives of this negative, critical, complaining attitude. It destroys our witness. It destroys our uniqueness. And we are people who are called to be thankful. Jesus breaks the bread and gives thanks for it. And we walk around not being thankful for all that he's done? It's wrong. And so he's saying, listen, look up and be thankful. What, you know, it, it's the classic, but for the grace of God. Where would we be? Where would you be if you hadn't encountered the Holy Spirit? Where would you be if you, haven't, if you hadn't discovered the Lord? So look up and be thankful. Communion reminds us to do that. So it reminds us to look back, to remember. It reminds us to look up, to be thankful. Third, 
we have to look around. And this is important one. We have to look around and we have to see family. See family. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29, put that up. It says, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Communion is a reminder to look around and see family. You know, like we say, you're my brother from another mother, right? But we all have the same heavenly father. We are family, and a communion reminds us of that. We are eternally family, like we are really stuck together. 10,000 years will pass, and I will still be your brother. So just start loving me now, right? This is the issue. Look around. One day we'll all be perfect, but communion is this reminder. It's actually supposed to be a demonstration of unity. It's, it's actually a family meal. That's really what it is. It's a family meal. And as we grow closer to the Lord, we grow in love and we grow in appreciation for each other. That's how it's supposed to work. We're never called to be lone rangers. We're never called to be lone rangers. It's not how we're wired. Even at the beginning, God looked at Adam and said, it is not good for this guy to be alone. We are called and wired to be together. It is family, and communion reminds us of that. We are believers in the family of God. We have been adopted into one big clan. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up, uh, make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. We are family. Look at Galatians chapter 3, one more. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, the Corinthians didn't have this right. You see why Paul was so upset? They were discriminating against the poor. They, there was, they, they were clicky. They, they weren't loving. They weren't looking around as they were preparing their hearts for communion and seeing family. They were, they were missing this important truth, and it was something he wanted to correct. So listen, look around and see and realize that everybody who has experienced faith in Jesus is your family. Everybody who has Jesus is your family. We may have different earthly mothers. 
We may have different earthly fathers. We may have different skin tone. We may have different levels of income. We may have different likes and dislikes. We may be as diverse as they come, but our backgrounds may be diverse, but believers in Jesus Christ have one family, one heavenly father, one spirit, and this is a family meal that we celebrate together. So look around and see family. Communion reminds us to look around, to realize that we are all sinners. All of us stand on that level ground before the cross. None of us are better than others. We are all sinners saved by grace. We have been made family on this earth, and we have been made family for all eternity to come. I was at the uh, Catholic Church, uh, I guess a week or two ago, celebrating with them their grand opening of their new building. They have a a lovely building. And uh, I must admit that um, there's not too many times when I walk into a service and I'm sort of a little bit like unsure and nervous, but I was then. I'm really not all up on my Catholic traditions. And so I'm standing in a room prior to the service, they, the, the, sanct, uh, the sacristy, and I'm standing in there with um, priests, everybody's in their robes and cardinals, and me, right? So immediately I'm feeling I am like something in here simply does not belong, right? And it was clearly me, right? And so I'm, I'm a little bit unsure, and, and uh, you know, they're getting their, their robes on, and the guy sends me a note that week telling me to wear my alb and stole. And I was like, I'm not even sure what an alb is, but I know that I don't have one. <laughs> so if you want me to wear anything like that, you're going to have to provide me with one. And then he, t- he texts me back and he goes, it's okay, just wear what you want. And I was like, whew, all right. So I, I said all that to say that I had a, a, re- a really interesting time and um, you know when you're not sure, uh, and like, you know, you go to the altar and they bow, and like, I just made sure I didn't go first for anything. And then whatever the guy in front of me did, that's what I did, right? That's smart. Don't you think that's smart? Yeah, that's how I figured it out, right? Nobody tells me anything. They think I know, but I don't know, right? So, and I'm not going to tell them I don't know, so I just fake it the whole time, right? But one of the things that I, 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 uh, I appreciated was the singing was magnificent, by the way. Uh, we were singing uh, Psalm 23, and there was a choir leading us, and there was uh, about 700 people there. The place was packed. And, and it's like this cavernous, echoey, you know, place. And it was just ringing with the, the, the Lord is my shepherd. And it was beautiful. Like, it was lovely. And anyway, and I told them so. I said, I'm a Pentecostal. I love music. But I want you to know, you Catholics, you got it going on here tonight. And everyone laughed, and we had a good time. But there was something that I, I got thinking about while I was there. I don't, I don't know all their traditions, but there's one that I appreciated that is, connects to our sermon today, is when they say, the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. I don't know if they 
all know what they're talking about, like they pass the peace, right? Pass the peace of Christ. But I want you to know that it connects with us being family. When, when, I, say, when, when I say to you, I, uh, the peace of Christ to you, right? I'm saying, I, I love you. I want well for you. I want you to do well. I want the peace of God to, 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 to touch your life. I, you're family. You're, you're my brother. You're my sister, right? And so I pass the peace of Christ onto you. And I thought, that's a lovely thing. And so I got, I got thinking, like, like if, I, if I come down and I say, here's Terry, and I say, hey, Terry, you're my friend, you're my brother, and I pass the peace of Christ onto you. Praise the Lord. Isn't that a nice thing? I've returned it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I say, Karen, you're my friend and my sister, and I pass the peace of Christ onto you. That blessed me. Because it's real. We are family, whether we like it or not. So just start liking it. <laughs> just get used to it. Get over it. Right? Look around and see that we are family. Fourth, here's the fourth look. We have to look in, the Bible says. Look in and be honest with yourself. Communion calls us to look in and to examine ourselves. That's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 11, put it up for me, 27. He says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I just want to say this. Paul is not saying that we need to be worthy to partake in communion. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, is we need to partake in a worthy way. None of us are worthy, right? But we need to partake in a worthy way, right? So he's saying, how do you participate in a worthy way? Well, one of the ways is examine your heart. Confess what you need to confess, Humble yourself before God. Make right whatever is wrong. Communion reminds us to do that. He said, look, Corinthians, you're a mess. You're a disaster. You're doing this. You're being selfish. You're being rude. You're discriminating against others. You're, you're getting drunk. You're fighting each other. And then you walk up to the table. It's not right. He's saying you've got to look inside and examine yourself. And they were clearly not doing that. They weren't looking inside and examining themselves. Uh, look at 11.31. He says, but if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So he's saying, listen, there's times when God's going to discipline you Discipline you, Corinthians. Discipline us sometimes. Because we're, we're failing to examine ourselves and to make right what needs to be made right. He's saying, listen, it's not a judge condemning a criminal. This is a loving father who's trying to discipline and correct the children that he loves dearly. Right? Mm-hmm. There's an important difference. Right? And this is what he's saying. 
In fact, the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 12. I'm using a lot of scripture because I want you to get some of these, these, uh, these, these elements today. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But after there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So he's saying, make it right. Make it right. Communion reminds us to look in and to make things right. And can I just say this? Sometimes it's, we don't have to get up and like confess all these massive sins. This is what I think sometimes communion reminds me of. This is just me being transparent and this might connect with you. It's just a reminder for me of, Lord, you know I love you, but I've had a rough few weeks and I'm feeling a little bit cool. My connection to you feels a little bit weak. I haven't felt your presence. I've wandered just a little bit. Bring me back home. Connect me strong so that I, I deeply, deeply appreciate what you've done for me and I can carry that truth in my life. I want to be on fire. I want to be connected to you. I want to be close to you. And sometimes the ups and downs of life can just... You know what I mean? You've all experienced it. You, 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 you just get a little bit distant, and communion is a reminder for us to just come in close again. Just a reminder of who he is and how great he is and how much he's done for you and how much he loves you. So if there's anything wrong, you've got to look in and just be honest. You can't fix a problem if you're not honest about it. And, and sometimes we just need that reminder to say, Lord, draw me close again. It's like King David even said in, in the psalm, right, when he said, create in me a clean heart, right, and renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes these things need to be looked at and examined. And so communion reminds us to look in and to be honest about those things. Last, we look ahead to the return of Christ. He says we are to do this until he comes again. So the return of Christ is the great hope of the church. It's the great hope for every individual believer. It is our great hope. Jesus died and rose again and went to heaven. And we looked at that uh, last week or the week before. And he promised that one day in Acts He would return one day in the same way in which he went. And I will come again to take you to be with me forever. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, it says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. You see, John is trying to describe something that he's seeing. One day, every believer from from throughout all the ages 
will gather together around that, uh, around that Lamb of God one day. And the sheer number of us will be absolutely staggering. He's saying it's like the crashing of waves. It's like the roar of thunder that as we lift up our voices, the bride lifts up her voice to the groom. It will shake. And he's trying to describe in his first century way the, the sound and the, and the emotion and the feeling that he's seeing. How do you describe? We would, we would you know, we'd, We've made 21st century, we'd say it's like a, like a rocket going off, like a bomb exploding. Like he, he's hearing something that there are billions of people around the throne and they are saying, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And it is shaking the very foundations and he's trying to, trying to convey the power of that moment, right? The sheer number will be staggering, and let me tell you, it will be a feast like no other. I want to be there that day. 1 John chapter 3. This is one of my favorite verses, honestly, in the whole Bible, i got to tell you. I love these, these two verses here. It, it just brings me such great hope. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. We do this until he comes again. When he comes again and we're gathered around the throne, we won't need to do this anymore. But we do it until that day. Do you understand how amazing that is? Communion is not supposed to be a time of grief. In fact, it got me thinking about this week as I was thinking about it again. We need to have... I know you potluckers will hate this, but I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool sometime to have like a massive potluck and do it old school, first century style? And at the end of our meal, gather together and have the agape feast and end it with communion. See, it's supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be a good time. It's supposed to be an encouraging thing. It's not supposed to be, communion's not supposed to be a time of grief. It's supposed to be a time of thanksgiving. It's supposed to be a time of joy. And as we look back, as we look up, as we look around, as we look in, and as we look ahead, the price has been paid, the job has been completed, and total victory has been won. Thanks for listening to the Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. For more information about Stovall Pentecostal Church, including service times, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. Have a good week and God bless.